Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to those of you who've gathered with us here in the room. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We are glad that you're here to worship God with us. We like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. We do believe that the Lord is with us, that when we gather together to worship him, he meets us right here, right where we are with all the stuff that's going on in our lives. God is not a stranger to our mess, to our struggles, to our joys, all of it. God meets us right in the middle of it. Please um, join me in prayer. Lord, I um, am so thankful that you've given us a reminder this morning through, through this song of just how much you gave when you gave yourself on the cross. Lord, it's easy to just accept it as that's just part of being a Christian. And, and Lord, I know I find myself often getting complacent and take for granted your sacrifice. So, Lord, I thank you for the reminder this morning that, Lord, at your cross there is no shame, there's no more sin. You've washed us clean with your blood. You have, you have given us a peace and a new life that can come from nowhere else but from the foot of your cross. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you, Lord. I can't say it enough. None, no one could, even if the whole world said it all at the same time, Lord, it still would never be equal to the sacrifice that you made for us. Thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you again for a beautiful day. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you are working in our lives and working in this church and working in our community and in our world. It may seem sometimes, Lord, like evil is, is overcoming and evil is winning, but Lord, we know the story. We know that you are the victor. And in you, we are victors along with you, Lord. And thank you for that fact. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live wondering what the outcome will be, Lord, because we know that we can trust you. No matter what it looks like outside, no matter what it looks like in our lives, no matter what it looks like in our world, Lord, you have given us the faith that overcomes. And greater are you that's in us than anything that's in the world. Father, I pray that you would be with the rest of this service. That, Lord, as, as Pastor Rich brings us your word, that we would find within that word, Lord, um, a, a place where we can grow, a, a place in our lives where maybe we never realized that we hadn't surrendered to you or a, 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 a thought, Lord, that we had never considered before so that we can grow in our intimacy with you and we can grow in our faith, in Lord, and, and in doing so that we can share that with a hurting world. So be with us, Father. May you be glorified in everything that's said and done. And we give you the thanks, we give you the praise, we give you all the glory, Lord. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. Now we're still waving. We're still, <laughs> unfortunately, I'd love to hug everybody, but wave to each other across the room. And in, while we're doing that, Pastor Rich is going to come and share some things with us and then bring us the word. 
Thank you, and, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward very much, too, to the, the opportunity to wander the room again and to greet each of you and, and do all that conversation. Now, we can talk after the service all you want to. Uh, we can slip outside or we can, you know, that kind of a thing, talk outdoors. Um, we're just doing our best to make sure that this thing doesn't keep spreading. Uh, just a couple of announcements real quick. Uh, if you are in the room, you can grab one of those little cards back there and let us know you're with us. If, uh, or you can grab your phone and go to livinghope.info slash connect, and you can fill out one of those digital connect cards, and I invite all of you who are watching online to do the same, uh, to let us know you're with us and how we can pray for you, thank God with you, and, um, and if you are in the room, you can drop that little card in the offering box along with any gift that you're giving, uh, or you can join the rest of us by going to livinghope.info slash give, and you can give online that way. Uh, that works really well too. There's, a, there's like a texting option too, but a, uh, pretty much, I think we had like one person use that, and all the rest of you just go to the website, and then you... And then you uh, Link that up with your bank or with your credit card or whatever, and, uh, and that's good. Hey, uh, one thing that you can give to right now uh, is Habitat for Humanity. Uh, we are going to be building another house with Habitat this fall, and uh, so we'd invite you to join us uh, in giving and also in actually getting your hands dirty and helping build the house. One of those opportunities is just like a, a week away, uh, just about oh, two weeks away. Two weeks from this last Friday, the 24th, it's coming up. Anyway, there's a Friday, and then there's a Saturday option in October. Uh, if you're available to be with us during the day, and uh, either of those days, to help um, do whatever it is, wherever they are in the process at that time, they have uh, created some space for us as one of those churches that's, that's donating. Uh, that's a day where we get to have a team of people there. Now, you can go and volunteer other times as well. And so if those days don't work for you, but you'd like to be a part of it, let us know, and we can connect you with the folks at Porter County Habitat, and they will... Uh, help you to, to be able to get in there and get your hands dirty. Uh, but we'd love to have a group of us. They're going to provide lunch. They're going to provide the training. And so if you would like to be a part of one of those days, uh, you can go to livinghope.info slash habitat, and there are links right there to the little sign-up pages for each of those days, and you can reserve your spot. Um, and then uh, what I put in there next, the bikes, because that's this Saturday. This coming Saturday, that, that group's going to be out here in the parking lot again, giving away free bikes and bike tune-ups. So if you know somebody who needs a bike, now's a great time for them to get one. And, you know, you're inviting them to come you know, check out your church at the same time. And uh, actually, I think the building's open on those days. Is that right? Uh, so Howard opens the building in case somebody needs to use the restroom or something. So if you're bringing a friend to get a bike, you can always say, hey, and can I show you our church? You know, and you can just walk them in here and show them the room. And, and a lot of people, when they walk in, they're like, oh, there's, there's tables? Uh, you guys really are kind of laid back, I guess. All right, cool. You know, you told me that, you know, you were relaxed and that I could just wear this to church tomorrow and that'd be fine, but maybe I believe you. Okay, great. So anyway, or if you have a bike to donate, obviously you can bring that by Saturday between 9 and noon. And then a week from today, it's hard to believe it's already here, it's our 21st birthday as a church. And so we're going to be celebrating that all morning. Uh, there's going to be birthday cake. There's going to be some cupcakes somebody's making. And uh, there's going to be, and then in the afternoon, we're going to have a or right around noon, uh, we're going to have a cookout and outdoor games, all that stuff right outside here. And so we would love for you to join us uh, on that day to be a part of our birthday celebration. Also that day, we're kicking off a new message series on uh, discipleship as a journey of grace. It's a six-week series, six, six, seven-week series? No, I can't remember. Six-week, six-week series uh, exploring God's grace and what that looks like to experience God's grace in our lives. And we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit uh, this morning as well. Um, so we hope that you'll be with us next Sunday, uh, either online or here in the room. I know we've got a few extra folks uh, joining us online this morning that would normally be in the room with us, but because of the way the numbers have gone with COVID and everything, they said, you know what, I think we're going to watch from home right now. So uh, <clears throat> if that's you, then next Sunday, even if you're doing the service from home, you can still come. If you want to be outside with us, uh, weather permitting, we'll be outside for the meal and for the games and all of that. So that, that should be a good day. And uh, 
Regardless, we're excited about the chance to celebrate God's faithfulness over 21 years of living hope here in Valparaiso. All right, um, this morning, uh, for this morning's message, uh, we've got, uh, oh man, I did not finish getting the scriptures in there uh, for the message this morning. Some of the most important ones I don't have in there. Uh, my apologies. I just realized that right as I was starting to say that, I was going to say, yeah, they're on the screw. No, they're not. Okay, there are a few of the scriptures on the screen, and then they're just going to cut off partway. So, good grief. All right. My apologies. I'm sorry. I hope you will be gracious toward me. That's what we're about to talk about, uh, is, uh, is having grace. So last week, Pastor Judy talked about putting our faith into action, and, uh, and not just having it be some empty, dead faith, is what the Bible calls it. When it's not displayed in your life, it's like that, that kind of faith is no good at all. It's just like agreeing with some ideas, but if you don't put them into practice, it shows you don't really agree with those ideas at all. You don't really believe that it's true. We, we, our faith has to be put into action, has to be seen in our lives. And today we're going to talk about one of the most difficult aspects of our faith to put into practice. And that's uh, being a person of grace even toward our enemies, even toward those who have wronged us. Uh, it is one of the hardest things to do, which is why as a Christian, when we hear Jesus say, you know, love your enemies, uh, pretty much all of us say, oh, but do I have to? Because none of us really want to do that. You know, if, if they have hurt us, we would just as soon see them be hurt. And if we get to be part of hurting them, like there's a part of us that would really like to be a part of that, you know. We want to hurt them back. And Jesus commands us to live differently, models a different way of living, and, uh, and instructs us and leads us into a life where we are, it is actually possible for us to be people of grace toward everyone, including our enemies. Uh, so we're going to explore that a little bit today in a little bit unusual way, perhaps. Uh, but first, um, I just want to acknowledge real quick, yesterday, you know, it was the 20th anniversary of the attacks of September 11th, 2001, and um, how many of you remember where you were on that day when that took place? I know some of you are like, I wasn't born yet, I can't, I can't say what I was, uh, but for many of us, we can remember, I remember where I was, uh, the church was just a year old at that time, we were just one week away from our first birthday, and um, we were in some borrowed offices because we didn't have our own building yet at that time. We were still setting up every Sunday and tearing down every Sunday out of the Aberdeen Manor Banquet Hall. And so we were in some borrowed offices, and I evidently was already in the office. I'm not sure why I was there at that time, but, um, and got word that, like, something big was happening and find a TV. And so we found a TV in this borrowed office and plugged it in and eventually got it to working and, and saw, I th I'm pretty sure we saw the second plane hit. Um, and we're just kind of glued to the TV in all of the aftermath. And, uh, I mean, just stunning, you know. Do you remember what you felt that day? Um, I, I remember just kind of feeling like it didn't seem real, you know, like this is some kind of a movie. We're used to seeing those kinds of things happen in disaster movies. You know, we see the Capitol get blown up by aliens, and we see all kinds of horrible things happen in movies that just aren't real, and there was part of me that wanted to, to, to just believe that this was fiction, but it was real. And, and then as flights got grounded, and then as you know, more things came out and more information was discovered, you know, I mean, I think many of us, we felt fear, we felt anxiety, many of us felt anger. You know, and those feelings need a place to go. You know, we don't do well at just kind of holding on to those feelings. And those, those feelings need an outlet. We look for someone to blame, we look for someone to push those feelings onto. And, um, and sometimes that's appropriate, right? I mean, we find the appropriate person. You hurt us and, you know, somebody punches you in the face, you know who did it, and you're angry at them for punching you in the face. You know, <clears throat> our, our boys just this morning were screaming and crying because one of them kicked the other one and one of them tore up the other one that he had built and, you know, 
It's a regular occurrence with twin five-year-old boys. But sometimes it's easy to direct those feelings in the appropriate place. Sometimes, though, that gets misdirected, right? I mean, way too many victims end up directing those feelings toward themselves, blaming themselves for what happened. Uh, sometimes we direct those feelings at God. We get angry with God about why did you let this happen or why didn't you stop this? Um, like I said, sometimes we direct those feelings appropriately, and then sometimes those feelings splash out onto all sorts of other people as well. And our anger, our frustrations, our fears, you know, we don't just, we're not just angry with the person who hurt us, we're angry with their whole family. You know, and we don't want anything to do with that whole side of the family anymore. And we refuse to go to their house or to have them over for the next holiday because of what one person said or did. Uh, or, you know, we blame a whole bunch of people that, that look like the person who hurt us or from the country of the person or of the religion of the person or whatever it might be. And we saw a lot of that, didn't we? in the aftermath of 9-11 20 years ago. Uh, I was just, as we were watching all the things and reading all the things uh, yesterday and in the lead up to yesterday's remembrances, um, was reminded that the first, we think, the first victim of one of those retaliations here in the United States was a, was a man who was a small business owner on a gas station, Mesa, Arizona, was an immigrant, uh, and he was of the Sikh religion, not a Muslim, not from the same part of the world, the people who attacked us, but there was somebody that was angry and had said earlier in the day he wanted to go and shoot some towel heads and he found a man in a turban and took shots at him and, and killed him. Um, sadly, that happens. I mean, this is a reality that we all live with and especially uh, those of our neighbors and friends uh, who are immigrants, especially those with uh, brown or olive-complected skin uh, in the days to follow 9-11 knew Oh, man, this is not going to be pleasant for us. Oh, this struggle with what do we do with, um, in response to people who hurt us, who wound us, who attack us, um, we see this played out in an, what seems to me an unlikely place. Um, there's a part of me who wants to you know, just go directly to the teachings of Jesus and the example of Jesus, but then there's this, this odd example in the Old Testament, this book of Jonah, uh, this prophet who displays for us um, well, you know how sometimes it's good to learn from like a good example, and then other times it's helpful to look at like a bad example of how not to do things? Jonah's a bad example for us of this. Um, Jonah um, is someone who, he appears in one other place in Scripture. If you, if you stick his name into Google or you, you're on your Bible app and you search for the name Jonah, uh, obviously you'll find the book of Jonah, which is pretty short, just four little chapters, like a page and a half in your Bibles. And it also pops up in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, where it mentions that Jonah, son of Amittai, was a prophet who, during a time when it, Israel, he was part of the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel had, had a civil war, and it split into two, the southern kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem is, and the northern kingdom of Israel, which later down the road would become Samaria. And we talked about the Samaritans and, and how you know, the Jewish people did not like them. It was in part because of what happens at the time when Jonah is around. Uh, this northern kingdom of Israel has a terrible track record of staying true to God. And, um, and sure enough, the king is Jeroboam II is king while Jonah is prophet there in the northern kingdom. And Jeroboam's a terrible guy. He's repeating the mistakes of the past kings before him. But nonetheless, Jonah prophesies that God is going to bless and going to do good things. And sure enough, they're able to expand their borders back out to what they had been. And it seems like God is being gracious to a people who do not deserve it. And their enemy at that time was the nation of Assyria. Assyria was the world power. You know, Egypt was always a dominant power, you know, and the people of Israel had been enslaved there. Um, 
Babylon, uh, the Babylonian Empire was a rising power, but then the Assyrians also, especially at this time, uh, Assyrians were the ones that Israel bumped into the most and, and clashed with the most. It was the Assyrians who would come in and would wipe them out, would destroy a town, would, would take territory. And so in Jonah's day, if they had an enemy, if they had someone that they knew, these people have done violence to us, these people have killed our friends, our, our uh, clansmen, our family members, it's the Assyrians. And the capital city of Assyria is this town called, this great city called Nineveh. Some of you right now are like, oh, Nineveh. Yeah, I know this because I know the story of Jonah, right? I think many of us probably have a passing familiarity with the story of Jonah, right? It's, it's one of those that uh, for some reason we've decided little kids should learn about in little kid picture books, right? Just kind of like Noah and the ark and we have, oh, there's a, there's a boat and those are animals and the picture books never, you know, never do show all the floating dead bodies in the water, right? Uh, we leave that part out for the kids. And similarly in Jonah, in the story of Jonah, we, we get the whole story of Jonah and he runs from God and he hides in a boat and there's a storm and they throw him overboard and, and he's in a fish, right? And then the fish gets spit up and he, and he finally does what he's supposed to do and we just end the story right there. Well, that's skipping like half of the story of Jonah. It's skipping the point of Jonah if that's all, that we, if that's all the story that we know. So what I want to do is read the story of Jonah to you. It doesn't take very long uh, because like I said, it's pretty short. Um, most of these chapters have like 10 verses in them. Uh, actually, yeah, chapters 2, 3, and 4 have 10 verses. The first chapter is just a little bit longer. And I could not fit it all into your notes. My apologies. And as I just confessed a moment ago, I was partway through getting them in, and I got interrupted, and I'm sorry. Okay, so chapter 1, the way the book of Jonah starts. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind upon the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. And that's where I think in your handouts it says dot, dot, dot. So you might have to look at the screen if you want. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. It's kind of like drawing straws or rolling dice. Or it was the kind of thing you did to try to figure out, you know, to get an answer from the gods. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us. Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? Just, they want to find out what's going on. He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Well, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. Here's where it picks up again in your notes. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? If this is your fault and it's your God that's angry with us, what can we do? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. 
At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So before we go on to chapter 2, just for a moment, here we have Jonah. God has told Jonah, go to Nineveh, preach against it. Their wickedness has risen up before me, and Jonah goes the other way. Doesn't tell us why yet. we find that out in chapter 4. All right? He runs away. And he meets these apparently pagan, I don't know, we don't know what religion they were. They each have a different god they're crying out to. So these are probably sailors from all over the place. You know, and they, whatever religion they might happen to practice, when the sea gets wild, they cry out to whatever god they can think of. And, uh, and they ask Jonah to do the same, right? So here's Jonah, one of God's people who should know better, who actually knows who God is, the one who created the sea and the land and all the rest. He's making the wrong choice, Right? He's running from God, and it's these pagans, these who knows what, these sailors, probably a little rough around the edges, I imagine. They're the ones who are turning to God and trusting God and worshiping God by the end of this first chapter. And Jonah finds himself, his life saved by God, down in the belly of a fish. So we get to chapter 2, and chapter 2 is like a poem. It's a prayer. And you know what, just stop putting the verses up there, because at some point, I think in chapter 2, that I don't, oh, in chapter 3, okay, okay, so you can get to see chapter 2 if you want. I I could not put it in your notes. All I could say in your notes to have room for is, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, and then here's what he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Lovely image. Um, We do get that in the kids' books, or at least the ones I remember reading. Um, So we have this prayer. You know, chapter 1 is Jonah... God, Jonah, and all these you know, pagan, not God worshipers, who by the end are worshiping God. And Jonah is, is stuck in a fish. Chapter 2, a prayer to God, where he acknowledges that, man, he was as good as dead. He had, you know, but he remembered God, and he turned to God, and God has rescued him. And he said, no, I, I will, I'm going to make vows. I will, I will make good. I will, I will sacrifice to you. He's making promises now about what he will do down the road, hopefully someday. And the fish spits him back up. Chapter 3, we'll see, repeats the pattern of chapter 1, where God speaks to Jonah and he interacts with a whole bunch of of pagans and what happens with them. And then chapter 4 is another conversation between Jonah and God. So there's a little pattern to the book. And if you take out chunks of it, you miss kind of the point. Uh, I think most of the kids' books, they they leave out this whole prayer entirely, right? I mean, we don't have a little section in the middle of the kids' book with a poem or a song or whatever uh, of Jonah praying. It just kind of says, and Jonah prayed to the Lord and the fish spit him back up. All right, so here we see what happens in chapter 3. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And that's his whole sermon right there. Some of you probably would love it if one Sunday you walked in and it was just that short. That's, that's as far as we know. That's all he says to them. Doesn't tell them what they did. Doesn't tell them who to turn to, how to change. Just says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It says, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This was the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And at that point, I'm thinking, woohoo, all right. You know, this is, what, this is the point, right? We want people to turn to God. We want people to turn from violence. We don't want these Ninevites, these Assyrians, to continue going through and slaughtering their enemies and doing the, the violent things that they did. I mean, they were notorious for their violence uh, in that day. And so here they've had a change. That's, that's fantastic, right? <coughs> Listen to what the very next words are of Jonah's story. We, the way we've divided up, this is the beginning of chapter 4, but But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Now, it's it's interesting to me. The the prayer in chapter 2 was all, like, poetic and divided. Like, in your Bible, it's probably written like poetry, you know, with, like, stanzas and lines and all of this. And uh, now, he's just shouting at God. Um, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah is in a place, I think, very similar to where many of us live when it comes to our enemies, right? We've talked in the past about what Jesus says about loving our enemies and praying for those who hurt us doing good to them, blessing them. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, throat's drying out up here. And, um, and we've talked about how difficult that is. And I've encouraged you to start where Jesus starts in, in one of the places where he says, just pray for them. Because our prayers, when they start out, might sound a lot like Jonah's. Maybe they might start out a whole lot like, God, I want to hurt them, but I'm going to let you hurt them instead. Okay, God, so that's all I can pray today, is I hope you get those guys, Right? But over time, as we pray, as our hearts are shaped by the heart of God, then we find our hearts changed. At least that's, that's been the experience of multiple Christians down over the years. Jonah's still at that first place. He's angry. He's angry that those who attacked him aren't going to get what's coming to them. 
Sure, bring it on up. Thank you, Stacy. Um, bring me a cup of water. Thank you very much. I don't know what happened. Something, something, some air caught me in the back of my throat. That's making me. Mm. All right, thanks. He's still in this angry place, and so that's what he's saying. And he says, this is why I ran. I wasn't afraid of you, God. I wasn't afraid of the Ninevites. You know, I've kind of thought that in the past. Like, why did Jonah run away? Well, these were their enemies, you know, and, and it would be pretty challenging to go to enemy territory and say, you guys stink. God's going to get you, you know. Like, I don't, don't know that I'd want to do that, right? Um, but what he says the reason he ran the other way, the reason he didn't do what God called him to do is because he was afraid that God would do this very thing because he knew what God was like. He says, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And I wanted you to destroy him. I didn't want to warn him. I didn't want to give him a chance to turn. I didn't want to give you a chance to forgive him, God. I wanted them to suffer for what they'd done to us. And now I'm so angry about this. He says, take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. If my enemies are going to live, I don't want to. Just take my life now. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah doesn't answer him. He just says, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Maybe he's still kind of hoping. Like I said 40 days. It's not 40 days yet. They still got a chance. Maybe they'll repent of their repentance and they'll you know, screw it up you know, before the 40 days is up and they'll still get smashed. I don't know. He's waiting to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But, Jonah said, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry I wish I were dead. And here, in the closing words of Jonah, I think is the point of this whole weird story. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant. Or some translations, you know, you've cared about this plant. This plant, you know, this matters to you. You've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it. Or make it grow, it sprang up overnight. It died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? The end. That's where the story ends. It's a lot neater in the kids' books where it just ends with everybody turning and so God doesn't destroy them. And yay, you know, happy ending. The, the last, the ending of Jonah is a challenge to us. Where are our hearts compared to God's heart? What are we concerned about compared to what God is concerned about? He does this little contrast with the plant and with the city. He's like, Jonah, you cared about this plant. It, you know, even though you didn't do anything to make it grow, it sprang up overnight, it died overnight, but, but this, this had like your concern. You were concerned for this plant. We're talking about a whole city of people. And God, I'm sure, is thinking, I've been working with these people for generations now. I've been trying to help them to turn from their wickedness. I've been, trying to, I've been, I've been desiring for them to, to see a change in their lives. Because God doesn't just sit up in heaven somewhere not paying attention. 
You know, it's not like God just only, only you know, sees things when like big news stories break or something. You know, God is at work in each of our lives from the moment we're born, you know, and before. You know, God is at work in our lives every moment of our life trying to help us to, to, to know him and to know his love and his grace and to, and to turn to him and to discover the amazing life that he makes possible for us, to partner with him in the work that he's doing in the world. And God has wanted this for these Ninevites. God has wanted it for them. And, it's, and I'm sure it has broken his heart every time they have done violence to others, every time they have harmed others, which you know, he knows destroys something of their own humanity as well. He's saying, Jonah, you're concerned over a plant. And then you're angry that I'm concerned about this city. And when finally you partner with me and you get there and you warn them and they turn and they experience the same grace that you've experienced, right? I didn't let you die when they chucked you in the water. I was gracious. I saved your life. I gave you a second chance. And now you're angry because I'm doing the same for them. Is that right? Shouldn't I have concern for these people? And I think the question that is left for us is like, and shouldn't you be concerned for them as well? Shouldn't you feel for them the same way that, that I do? You know, Jonah, do you think it hasn't hurt me when they've hurt you? Do you think you're the only one carrying this pain? <laughs> do you think I don't hurt along with you? But God is gracious, and he desires for us to be a people of grace as well, whose hearts reflect his heart for the people around us. Because God doesn't want anybody to just be punished, be destroyed. His desire is for all of us. The Bible's real clear. His desire is for all of us to come to a place of repentance, for all of us to turn from sin, to do just what these people in Nineveh did in this story, to turn from their wickedness, to turn to God, and to receive from him grace forgiveness. Jonah, in that fourth chapter, when he says, I knew you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sinning calamity, he's quoting God's own description of himself. It's one of the most quoted uh, sections of the Old Testament within the Old Testament. Uh, something like 20 times in different ways this, this phrase gets quoted in the Psalms and, and some of the other prophets. And I went ahead and included, I think in your notes, Exodus chapter 34. Did I put that in there, verses 6 and 7? Um, I know I don't have it on the screens. I'm sorry, but if you want to look up Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Uh, this is God with Moses as he's been giving them the law, giving them the Ten Commandments. And Moses has <laughs> wanted to meet with God, wanted to see God, to know God. And just in the lead up to this, uh, Moses had just had to chisel the replacement tablets for the ones that he threw when he was ticked off and came down. Anyway, so God is, is you know, reintroducing himself to Moses and to his people. And it says, as he passed in front of Moses, this is the Lord, God, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. That last part of it's like, ooh, man, end on a rough note there. Um, but he said, like, he's maintaining love to thousands. And sometimes it stays thousands, like, to the thousandth generation. You know, so God maintains his love and his faithfulness to those who turn to him, who will be faithful to him. But when people abandon him, turn from him, 
It's like God, God can be trusted. God is not going to let them just go on forever hurting and doing violence and doing to other people what they may have done to you. He says he's going to make sure and put a stop to that. And if their kids continue that pattern, he'll, he'll put a stop to that. And if their kids continue that pattern, he's going to put it. Like God is going to faithfully you know, watch over and, and faithfully bring justice. But what God desires, who he is, is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Jonah knew this, and Jonah didn't want that for his enemies. Here we are as a people who have received God's grace. If you're trusting in Jesus today, and I'm looking around the round room, and I, I know most of you and your story. There are some of you I don't know exactly you know, your story yet, but, um, but I, I know you and your stories and how God has been gracious to you because you've told me. You've told me the ways that God has forgiven you and the life that you've lived that God's brought you out of and, and the, the new life that God has given you. And I know for myself the ways that God has been and continues to be gracious to me and kind and forgiving. So our challenge then is to be a people of grace for the world, to, to partner with God, to let God's grace flow through us to others. And I have no doubt that this week God is going to send us the word of the Lord is going to come to Rich, son of Dwayne. You know, the, the word of the Lord is going to come to, I don't know all your parents' names, so I can't continue that little pattern, but uh, like Jonah, son of Amittai, the word of the Lord is going to come to you. There's going to be some opportunity for you to go and to let his grace flow through you into the life of someone else. And it might be someone who has hurt you. It might be someone that you've had a rough history with. It might be someone that, your honest desire of your heart is to say, oh, God, please, no. I, they need to get what's coming to them. You, you don't want to forgive them. And if that's your honest prayer to God, I encourage you, be honest with God. But then be ready for God to turn around and to have a conversation with you, to remind you of how good God has been to you, and to ask, wait, wait, are you saying I shouldn't be concerned for this person? Are you saying I shouldn't want the best for them? Are you saying that I shouldn't be gracious to them as I have been gracious to you? I don't know about you, but in those moments when God has to say those kinds of things to me, I go, fine, all right, I know, yes. And I, and I know I'm going to need you to continue being gracious to me, God, so please, would you change my heart? Would you help me to be obedient to you? Would, would you make my heart more like yours, God? so that I can be a part of your amazing work that you're doing in the world, so that I can be a part of your gracious good work. When we do that, our stories end better than Jonah's did. You know, uh, in just a moment, we're, we're about to pray, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. And as we celebrate communion, Doug and Mary are going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song, uh, Shall We Gather at the River, which... Um, is drawing imagery from the prophets and from the book of Revelation, which talks about uh, at the end when God's kingdom comes and his will is done here on earth as it is in heaven, that when God finally comes and brings justice uh, and, and has mercy, that when, when God comes and makes his dwelling with us once again, that uh, there will be this river of life that flows from his throne. And, and that river will water the tree of life. And it sounds like there's like a whole grove of these trees. The tree of life, which it says that its leaves are for the healing of the nations. I mean, this is what God wants. He doesn't want his grace and his life to just stay kind of bottled up in us. 
His desire is for his grace to give life, not only to us, but to the whole world, to the nations, to, to people who, in, in the language of scripture, the nations is those people out there who don't know God yet, who don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know which way to go. They don't know the straight path that God has set in front of them. But God loves them and cares for them. And his desire is for his life and for his grace to reach every last one of them. And we can be a part of that. We can be used by God to bring grace to others if we'll let him. So let's pray. Let's ask God to help us with this. God, first of all, we are so grateful that you have been gracious and good to us. That you have been compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God, there's not a single one of us here who at some point didn't find ourselves having to turn to you and saying, oh, God, I'm sorry. I have messed this up. I need your grace. I need your mercy. God, every single one of us at some point have been thanking you for the love you have shown us in Jesus Christ. That instead of condemning us, you came to us to rescue us and to give us life. That you were willing to give your own life for me, for each one of us to defeat the powers of sin and death and the devil so that we can be set free. Lord Jesus, by your death and resurrection, you have, you have opened the door to our prison cell. You have broken the chains off our wrists and ankles. You have, you have set us free so we don't have to live as slaves to sin. We don't have to live with hearts full of fear or anxiety or anger or bitterness. God, our hearts and our lives can be transformed by your love and by your grace. Thank you, God. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to be a part of your continued work in the world, to be a people of grace for everyone you send us to. God, I don't know who that's going to be this week. And God, you alone know what we continue, what feelings continue to bounce around in our heads and in our hearts as we think of those who have made themselves our enemies. But God, we want our hearts to be more like yours. So would you continue your transforming work in our hearts and in our lives as we open ourselves up to you? Thank you, God, that we get to celebrate this in the sacrament of communion that we're going to celebrate today. We offer to you these simple gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here among us, that we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood, remembering your great love for dirty, rotten sinners like us. God, today we come to you confessing our need of your grace, of your forgiveness, thanking you for your compassion and your faithful love. We pray that as we offer ourselves to you, that your Holy Spirit would continue your transforming work in our hearts and lives, continue to, to help our hearts look more like yours, continue to help us to live in this world in ways that look like Jesus so that we can live in this world as, as the body of Christ, as his hands and feet, as your sons and daughters. Thank you, God. We pray all this, confident in your love, confident in your grace, because you've shown them to us in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. As we celebrate communion together, I'll be standing right down here with a basket of bread and a cup of juice. And as we sing, you're invited to come forward, take bread, dip it in the juice, and eat it. Uh, There's the regular bread, there's gluten-free wafers, and there's also the little uh, individual containers, if if that's what you'd like. Or if you're sitting at one of the tables, uh, those are at your table. So if you uh, are not comfortable with coming forward for this, uh, you can remain seated and you can celebrate communion right there as we sing this song. And of course, all of you who are joining us online, uh, if you've gathered elements there, some bread, some juice, or the closest equivalent, you're invited to, to celebrate with us as well. This is open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. All of us who are so thankful for the grace that he's given us. All of us who are open to his continued transforming work in our hearts and lives. So let's celebrate. Thank you, God, for the invitation to gather at your river of life and of grace to receive that that love and grace that you've shown us in Jesus. Please, would you fill us with the spirit of Christ so that as we live, we might live as a people of grace, your people, letting your grace flow through us. Thank you, God. Thank you for the life that you give. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.